What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. There, you can purchase items from our online store and donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It is my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Adam Palumbo, part two. Welcome back, Adam. <laughs> Thank you. Part two. Part two, this is, this is unexpected. Unexpected. <laughs> unexpected. My part twos are generally pretty unexpected for me as well. So um, <laughs> sometimes we just have good conversation and I want to keep it going. So. Adam, yeah. we Let's keep it rolling. <laughs> we just did about an hour and ten minutes, part one. So if you've listened to part one, welcome to part two. We talked a lot about, um, yeah, you're kind of caught caught us up on life, and we talked a lot about the restaurant industry and kind of COVID nineteen and some of the things that you uh, love and some of the struggles that you've had with the work that you're in today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting time to uh, to discuss that too. Just like due to the fact that it's like I'm not able to work right now. It's yeah. just it's wild. It's wild to like think you know just to think through it all and, re- and like reflect on it. But um, no, it's cool. It's um, appreciate to be able to share what I do and maybe give a little perspective to folks who don't you know may have not really like ever heard about what you know what it really is like for, you know, full-time bartender, full-time server. Yeah. The, the fact that it is like people's real job, you yeah. know? And I think yeah. some, some, some of it is like the, the stigma of it too. That's like personally hard to, um, to deal with sometimes where I guess I'd say in the last few years, some of what we were talking about earlier with like the increase in, restaurants popularity and the social media presence yeah. and celebrity chefs and like i mean food is all over tv now in a yeah. way that it, it never has been in the in the past and um the fact that you can literally be a celebrity chef you know and right. have that kind of right. presence and, and thank influence. you anthony bourdain i would say yeah <laughs> like, yeah but, but but like it's so now i think people are starting to see like oh yeah this is a viable career option mm-hmm. um but it, 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 you know, I think the general consensus still in a lot of America is that this is a job that people do in between something like, oh, you're a student, you're going to college, so or, true. Yeah. you know, whatever. And I, I still even, you know, admittedly, you know, I, I'll wrestle with that. Like, what am I actually doing mm. <laughs> Like with my life? Is this what I want to do forever? Can yeah. I do this forever? Um and you kind of always have those conversations with yourself, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just an interesting place to find, to find yourself, um, you know, liking what I do and appreciating what I do. And at the same time, like I have coworkers who they're they're just as good of a bartender as me and they're making their way through college. You know, they're like 24 years old and I'm like, man, like, wow. Yeah. What, what I was doing when I was 24 and kind of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just, it, it just makes you think and consider like the, like all the direction they're headed in. And here yeah. I am like, 
I'm like, you know, sometimes, yeah, you just, you feel a little old. <laughs> you, you know, sure. like your, Dude, your I, body makes you think that and yeah. what you consider in life at like at the point that I'm in now, you know? Yeah. I, I think about that, you know, now too. I mean, you know, for me, it might look a little bit different for me than for you, but the, the piece that I can really connect with, with what you're saying is, you know, people ask, and, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, and I've, I've brought this up, but the, the conversations around, well, all right, America in general, we tend to put a lot of stock in, quote, our careers and what people are doing, you know, uh, and yeah. it's a it's a value piece that we look at someone in, in America, I feel like at least, that the conversation is... It's the first thing you ask somebody that you meet most times, mm-hmm. right? What do you do? What do you do for a living? What's your occupation? You know, what do you do for work? And it's like who we are is supposed to be synonymous with what we do. Um, and like who you are and, and your, I don't know. It's this like appreciation, purpose, value that we put a lot of stock in the thing that we spend the most time in most of the time, you know, uh, we put that stock. So it's not that it doesn't warrant that. It just also is part of, I don't know. There's more to our world. There's more to you. There's more to me than, than what we do. But for me, when people ask, you know, what are you doing? It's, I'm, I'm still working to be quote, I think everybody wants to be successful, right? Everybody wants to feel successful. Everybody wants to like, you ask that question, you're like, well, I'm the founder and CEO of, you know, whatever, or I am uh, this, this and that. And uh, it's not that easy. And it, 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 it definitely affects my head when I have that, those conversations. And, um, you know, we had a conversation before we got going, but this is what I'm doing full time. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. right now, financially, I'm not the person bringing money into our family, to my family. Um, my wife is, and I love that. I think it's awesome. It's amazing. But it's, it's interesting. You know, it plays with the psyche of, of who I am as a man, as a family member, as a husband, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that I want out of life and, you know, it really comes, it brings to question for me, at least my value, you know, and yeah. what yeah. am I doing? I want to do, I want to contribute to the world. I feel that I have talents and skills and, and the drive and the ability to make a difference in this world. And, you know, it's funny because perspectives, everything and how people perceive you can be very different than how you perceive your own self. Um, and I, I find myself putting these little disclaimers when I say, well, I, I founded, you know, I started the storytelling brand. That's usually what I say. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very quickly after me saying something like that, generally the question steers towards how do you make money doing that? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a, it's a thing that doesn't need to be a negative thing, but in my head, I feel that it is, or I feel that people are going to think that. And so I try to, you know, come up with some, well, you know, excuse or, you know, well, you know, I do this, my, my, my wife's kicking ass and, um, you know, whatever, but I shouldn't, I don't need to feel that way. Right. Like I'm happy if I'm happy and you're happy and whatever your job is, there's just a lot of misconceptions. I think specifically in the food and beverage industry, you know, and, and being working at a restaurant and whatnot and 
it is synonymous with this idea that it's the side hustle, it's the side gig, it's the, yeah, you know, it's because of time maybe, you know, it's a lot of evenings most of the time. And that's probably one of the big reasons that I'm not in it right now is that I, I value my time with my wife and my family and I don't yeah. want to be away from, from her, you know, for those long periods. And I want to have kids someday and I want to be able to have that, you know, time with them. And it's not that you can't do both. It's just what's important to you and what's not. Yeah. It's, I said a lot there. It, I'm sorry. I went on a little tangent, but no, man, it, it's all good. I mean, it's, it's things that I think about pretty often, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The attachments to, um, you know, like how you see yourself, you know, your, your own self-worth and self-esteem and how yeah. much you wrap up with your, you know, vocation. And, and career um and it's like I, I i see both sides man i feel like that's a blessing and a curse for me is I, i'm definitely a person that sees both like both sides totally. i've never been yep. been a person to be like very you know um take a hard a hard line stance on like one way or the other in, yeah. in many aspects of life and career is one of them you know um mm-hmm. never never been a person to be so monetarily driven that that affects my decision making with you know how i'm making that the, the money that, yeah, the, that i am that i am making and so i think that's what led me into things like invisible children in the first place um, yeah was because i definitely wasn't doing it to make money yeah you know but it, and, but and, our value uh, and our purpose was unmatchable you know i mean there's no like there's we had so much value. Like we really did. If, if we didn't show up, yeah, there's probably other people that could have showed up and done the same job, but it had so much purpose and so much value at invisible children, the things that we did. And it affected a greater cause that we were all there for. Yeah, it, it really did. It, it truly did. And that's, that was the thing. That was the, <clears throat> that was the personal payoff with yes. the, 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 the satisfaction of what, you were a part of and what you were accomplishing, what you were contributing to yes. the world. And, um, yeah, that can't necessarily be replaced with a paycheck. But then when you leave that world and <laughs> the rea- the reality of the way that this, you know, you know, society operates, it's like, yeah. you got to be responsible. You got to pay your bills, you know? And, and, and I think about, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, um, like the your family and and uh, and, and and everything, and it's like it, the the career that I have right now doesn't line up with good hours to like be a father, right? And so it, it really is a is like a gut check for me sometimes. It's like, well, how long can I do this? Because you know, if I want to have kids, yeah. I gotta try to get on more like a nine to five schedule, you right. know. Um, there, I mean, there's plenty and yet of people at the same time, there's point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm say. There's plenty of people and plenty of people in the, the restaurant and food and, you know, chefs and bartenders that are, that are raising families and doing it successfully, yeah. you know, and it's just finding what works for you and finding what works for each individual and the things that, that matter. And, and for me, that's, you know, that was one of my lessons. And one of the things that I learned when I left Invisible Children is that I need boundaries and, uh, I want boundaries from my work. And yeah, I think that, that's one of those boundaries that I found over the years that is really important to me is, man, 
even working from home, my wife, she's, she's working right now and she'll probably work till six thirty tonight, you know? And that's like prime time, right? Right. If I was to go and work and be a bartender or be a waiter, that's, that's where you make your money. That's where you, that's your bread and butter. Is that like three to four o'clock till close, you know? <laughs> so, um, it's, uh, it, it makes things interesting and, and there's plenty, like you said, like we've said, like there's plenty of people that are making it work. It's just knowing what, what you value and what matters to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if that's the way, you know, you want to like make it work and, and, and adjust your life to do so. I mean, it is possible, yeah. but it's just, it's, harder. it's just an extra, it's just an extra hurdle, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, it, it is. And it's just something to, to really consider. Um, you know, moving, moving down the road. Yeah. So, but yeah, and I, I think it's, it's a, I've heard, you know, you mentioned it a little bit in some other episodes and, and some of the friends and people that I've li- uh, listened to, you know, who come from the whole invisible children family. Yeah. It is that like, it is like a very weird, um, process of going from the, like that world of work where, it, like there was such a deep like meaning from it and a deep satisfaction, even mm-hmm. though like there were so many sucky, sucky days. Oh of, yeah. Like <laughs> and what you're saying, like the, like the no boundaries, it's just oh, like, yeah. I, like the stuff that you tolerate when you're in it because you believed in it so yeah. much. Um, yeah. Like there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't healthy. And of course, um, we, and like, you and I, and, and, and the limited invis- to no boundaries. Yeah, yeah. You and I, and the Invisible Children community can can sit and pick apart things for days. I mean, for sure, right? Like we can pick at things. There's things that I wasn't happy about, but that's everywhere. That's anything. But at the end of the day, for me, that was it was huge, and it was a really hard transition out of. Yeah, because you don't necessarily have. I can only speak for myself, right? I think I've yeah. heard it you know, from some other guests that, that I resonate with when I, when I heard him say it yeah, is you, I don't have the same like deep sense of meaning from bartending as I did when right. I was working on invisible children. Do and you so crave it's that? Hard. I do. Yeah. I really, I do. And, I, and that's, that's something I've had to learn um, about myself and that, that, you know, I, I'm trying to find, the, the balance in it, you know, of, um, yeah, it's not the end all be all. And, and I might not ever find like a, a a job that gives me that deep sense of, um, of meaning. But, um, like, I think it was, uh, like Timmy, like Timmy Harris who was on and he was saying like, you know, about some of the memories of, you know, invisible children. It was like, you know, he, you said I haven't thought about it too much in the last couple of years because I think I, I think he said something to the effect like he he dwelled too much in the past and thinking yeah. about it that it wasn't going to get better than that. Mm-hmm. And I think I definitely have wrestled with this very, those very same feelings and thoughts. Yeah, you know when you're just like kind of trudging through restaurant work and you're grinding and it's like, man, yeah. you know, um, like this doesn't seem this is not like what that was Mm. so you know and it's kind of like where am i heading and and what am i um like really what am i striving towards or or working towards yeah yeah um and so it's just trying to find that meaning and that value in in other places and maybe like you're 
for some folks, their vocation gives them that, and that's yeah. an amazing thing. Totally. And I think I, I got good advice years ago from, from a mentor who was like, yeah, that that can happen, but it's very rare. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's very rare that your vocation is going to give you that deep sense of like meaning in life. And so there's nothing wrong with finding it in other areas of life. Um, for some people, it's family. For some people, it's hobby. Um, you know, like there, there's there's definitely like other ways yeah. to find that, even though it um, it may or may not come from your vocation. Yeah, I think I, I, if if I had to choose it, I would love for my say forty hours a week or forty plus hours a week of what I do to pay the bills gives me a deep sense of meaning and satisfaction mm-hmm. but um i think i'm i'm still on the uh, on the search for that i guess <laughs> yeah I, i'm right there with you and i mean <laughs> once you've tasted the that sweet nectar of <laughs> purpose and value and you know for us that was invisible children and i think that um it's really hard to put that genie back in the box mm-hmm and, and I had yeah. this conversation with a lot of, you know, everybody listening, you, you know, like I've had a lot of guests from Visible Children on this podcast. And in the beginning, before I really started to structure the podcast about the origin story of childhood, adolescence, you know, high school, you know, post high school, college, whatever that looked like, and then current day. And when I started structuring it that way, it gave people, I think, understood what I was talking about and having them on. But I had a lot of, you know, straight up, I had a lot of people from the IC community that's like, I don't really need to talk a lot about invisible children anymore. And really kind of saying that is like, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like I'm, I'm in a good place. I've moved beyond and I moved past that. And I think that for a lot of us, we, we struggled deeply and and hard. And I know I I went through many seasons. I've, I've gone through those seasons of depression and sadness and, and, uh, questioning what am I doing with my life? You know, is this what, and, what I want to be doing? Is this all there is? Is this, um, you know, is there yeah. more? Can I have more? You know? Um, yeah. But I, and, and I know I think you listened to Bethany's podcast and I, I remember mentioning to her, like, I'm still working through some of that. You know, it's, there's little things that pop up and I go, oh, I haven't dealt with that yet. You know, and uh, the Coney 2012 stuff and, and, and that period of time and, spring of 2012 was one of the most difficult times you know I've gone through and I've gone through some difficult times in my life but it's different it's special and and it really really hurt you know to have some of those attacks and some of those different things and maybe some of our listeners don't know but uh, understand but just search Coney 2012 and you'll figure it out pretty quickly um but yeah, yeah that time was uh the time was was difficult you know and it really brought to question your resolve in some ways and then coming on the other side of that and, and just being like, Whoa, okay. You know, we, this means a lot to me. And and then you leave invisible children completely and you go, what, what did I just do? You know, I just put all this time and energy and we didn't give financially, but we gave of our time, which was the financial thing, you know? And I, and I don't know about for you, but I look at that and I go, man, I spent almost three years at invisible children and, I wouldn't change it for a second in the world, but I also put myself financially 
three years behind the rest of my peers and the rest of the world. (laughs) And, uh, you know, for you, you, you were there for a long time as well. And it's like, man, you look at that and you go, well, shit, now what, you know, like I can still start a career of course, but it's that you start looking around you and, and it's almost like you feel out of place and you feel like you don't belong in some ways. And yet you've gone through this thing that's changed your life and, and made you a better person for it. (laughs) <laughs> and here you are, you know, now what? Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, uh, it's an interesting place to, to, to find yourself, you know, and, uh, thankfully, you know, not alone in it though. Um, yep. Like, like I said, like I did have some great people around me with, you know, why or I stayed in San Diego for, yeah. you know, for all these years and stuff. It was like, because I wanted to hold on to those relationships and, and navigate that awkwardness, you know, with like with some other people, you yeah. know. Yeah. And granted, life <clears throat> life looks vastly different than yeah. Th- then I mean, in San Diego is nothing like it was. Yeah, I'm sure. Then, um, yeah, that that was also like a really interesting <laughs> like time and season in life to to see all of the friends and the people I had in San Diego, a lot of them don't live here anymore. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a transient city as it is. And because so many people came to San Diego just to work in invisible children and when their time was up or that season was up for them, they like went back home or took other jobs, you know, in different States and got married and, you know, have families and all this stuff. So then, uh, yeah. So then you're like left, like, well, I'm still here. Uh, what, 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 am, <laughs> yeah. what am I still doing here? Yeah. You know? And, yeah. um, and that's just been something that like has been an interesting and unique for my, you know, my own story, I guess. And, and, and time, time yeah. here. So, yeah. And, and yeah. then it's that perception of other people as they've left and gone and they're quote, you know, making it quote, you know, um, <laughs> And, and looking at those people going like, oh man, they, it's the, it's the social media issue, right? <laughs> Is that we yeah, only see the happy things. All, yeah. Yeah. We follow everybody on like Instagram and Facebook. Like they got their shit to together. People. Look at them. Yeah. Like, yeah. We oh. don't, we don't talk to each other per se anymore. Yeah. And then like the six years, eight years, 10 years goes by. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I guess like you kind of have your perceptions of where people are at, but sure. unless you really have a conversation like this, you don't always really get to know right. the, the depths and, and for sure it's, it's like, um, I appreciate people being honest and, and open and vulnerable on social media, but by and large, I mean, it's just the high, it is the highlight reel. Yeah. I, I, that's what and I, I do. do. It it's too. like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm on, I'm on a cool hike or I'm on a walk with my dog and, you know, yeah. it's like these, these are the fun things that I like to do or, yeah. Hey, check it out. I made this new drink and it made it on like the cocktail menu at work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the highlight reel, you know, for sure. Um, what they don't see is behind the voice, right? Especially like right now I, I've, I'm wearing a shirt and some, some athletic shorts and barefoot. I'm sweating a little bit, you know, <laughs> I may or yeah. may not have showered in the last three days, I don't know. Uh, so, Dude, we all have, yeah. we all have a, 
I don't know what you call it. We, we have a pass, so like, you know, this <laughs> quarantine way of this way of living in quarantine. Yeah. Quarantine life's disgusting. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. I'm, I'm still, I'm still moving. Uh, oh, wow. I'm not exercising as much as I'd like, but I, yeah. I mean, having a dog is great. Cause you at least, yes. you know, have to be on her schedule and go outside for totally. walks and yep. you know, at the bare minimum I'm doing that, you know, yep. which is good. Same. same. Yeah. Well, Adam, thanks again for doing part two. Um, we talked a little bit about it. You, we met at Invisible Children. You live in San Diego, California. Still, you're working in the the restaurant industry. You work for a company called Ironside. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Ironside Fish, yeah, and, but, Fish but, and Oyster. Yeah, Ironside Fish and Oyster is the is the restaurant that I work at. And it's yeah. part of a larger company in San Diego called Consortium Holdings. Cool. So they, they have like a bunch of bars and restaurants all over San Diego. Awesome. We, yeah, yeah we've, we've kind of dive, we dove pretty deep into some of that and in, in your current day. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about invisible children. Let's, uh, let's keep this going and, and let's throw it back and, and learn a little bit more about your life growing up. How would right. you describe your childhood? What was childhood like for Adam Palumbo? childhood um (laughs) it was it was good you know it was um it was kind of a storybooky in in a sense um i'm really grateful that i had a good childhood you know i can definitely say that um that's that's not the case for everybody um you know my parents they they stayed together my parents are still married and um i have one brother and one sister so I'm the middle. Nice. And um, as a typical like middle child, I'm very I'm very much the peacemaker. Nice. And um, there's a whole lot to unpack there that like I'm still learning about in my in my adult <laughs> years. But with, to, to to stick with the childhood theme, you know, it's just like I grew up in um, a small town in New England, in Massachusetts, and um, yeah, like I got I was pretty lucky to to live in a a small rural town okay and just spent a lot of time outdoors like running around in the backwoods um was in boy scouts you know um would ride dirt bikes here and there yeah like road bikes all like all around town and it was just like a you know it's a safe environment it was like it wasn't the kind of place that had to uh, worry about uh, um, you know, like my parents didn't have to worry too, too much about where we were, where we were going to be and, and everything like that. So yeah. and we were close knit, you know, like, um, yeah, like I'm only three years younger than my sister, but then there was a big gap between me and my younger brother. Cool. Um, he's like, he's like eight years younger than me. Nice. Um, that's a big, yeah, that's like, a big gap though. My mom, yeah, yeah. my mom and her brother were like 10 years and. You know, I've I've heard some stories from her about you know that kind of that gap and what that was like and <laughs> having a little brother running around. Yeah, like it was very. It, it's interesting. I think um, because my sister and I, by the time we were kind of finishing high school, going into college, and that whole thing, like my my brother was kind of just in such a different stage in his life, and um, I don't think 
I think my brother and I grew a lot closer to each other later in life because mm. you just have a little bit more similarity yeah. once like someone graduates from high school and you know um, yeah the, like the, yeah, that age gap kind of lessens as you as you both grow older and get into your 20s and stuff like that you know for sure yeah um, I'm, I was an only child growing up but I have a stepbrother and sister that came along like my junior senior year of high school and they were young, you know, super young. And it's been the same. Like now they're both 21 and, um, you know, it's different. Our relationship has gotten exponentially better as they've gotten older. You know, it's just more, more in common, more things to talk about, more commonalities and, um, more life experiences that we can share. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, yeah, so that was like an interesting, you know, d- dynamic where I was really stoked about having a younger brother. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I saw the camaraderie of some other brothers, yeah. you know, that I was fr- friends with. And I'm like, oh, man, it'd be so cool. Like, we're running good, like, do all this stuff together. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but then I, th- I think it was in third grade when my brother was born. And so, um, but you don't realize that how much of a, of a gap that is in life. Yeah. So as like I was in, you know, middle school and he's just like this little toddler kid, you know, <laughs> running around and it's not like, and then when I started hanging out with my friends in high school, I, it's like my brother was still so young. It wasn't like I was inviting him out to come hang out with me and my friends in high right. school. Right. Or like go, go ride bikes together and, and do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, my my sister and I had a unique experience because uh, we were homeschooled together for a while. Oh, cool. Um, so let's see, I, I was I was homeschooled from uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, so like middle school years, I was homeschooled. And my sister was having a hard time in high school. Uh, she just kind of had some some bad like like friendship dynamics, yeah. and some, like kids are just like you know, high school kids are cruel and mean to each other. The worst. And um, so she just was kind of over the the social side of of high school. And my mom had already started to homeschool me in sixth grade. So she gave my sister the option, like, you could always come and finish high school at home if you want. Like, you don't, yeah. you don't have to go to this school that you – that you don't like and you know you feel uncomfortable and, and yeah. stuff so she gave her that option and she did so for her the last two years of school junior and senior year of high school she was homeschooled and nice. so um yeah so my sister and i kind of had this like funny ex- experience where like the two of us would be home doing our homework and stuff and doing our schoolwork but we also because we were homeschooled, we could do other things that some kids didn't get to do, like yeah. go to go to the local pizza shop for lunch. And sure. um, on Fridays, our gym class, we'd go to the, the skating rink and go ice skating for nice. you know our physical fitness class or whatever. Yeah. You know, when the the rink is totally empty and no one's on the ice at ten in the morning on a Friday, you know. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah. So there was some cool stuff like that. Where I mean. Don't get me wrong. We definitely had some big fights, like yeah. <laughs> being stuck together in the house like that. Um, but overall, I think, it, yeah, like it, it, um, it deepened our relationship um, in in a, in a in a cool way. And you know, 
my sister started getting more independence and she got her license and got a car. And so I would kind of tag along with her places and she would drive me back and forth to youth group at our church and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say I, I contribute those couple of years of being homeschooled together, like really, um, yeah, like deepen in that relationship between me and my, and my sister, even though I would drive her nuts all the time. You know? <laughs> for sure. Um, for sure. So what, what did yeah, you say you wanted to be when you grew up? The first thing that comes to mind was an engineer. Nice. I think I, I remember in like fifth grade, I had this idea that I wanted to be an engineer. Yeah. Um, I don't know really where that came from um, <laughs> because I, I, I grew up where I went to college. Actually, there was a tech school. Okay. Um, down the road, uh, WPI, nice. Worcester Polytech, and I had friends who went to that school. And man, when I was in college, I was so glad that I wasn't facing the kind of pressure <laughs> and the the intensity of the the coursework that they had going. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I had a pretty intense coursework too because I ended up doing biology. Nice. Uh, for my for undergrad, anyways, but um, definitely not as intense as engineering. But yeah, I wanted to do that. I had like a real fascination with. Um, like jets and uh, like being a pilot or something like cool, that. Cool, cool. Um, it's like yeah, one of my favorite so, questions because I it, I feel like it. It's like everybody had something that you said you wanted to be. You know, from the stereotypical like I want to be a firefighter or a policeman to, you know, uh, who was what was one of my guests? Uh, he said he wanted to be like a dump truck driver. You know, when he was little. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, astronaut to, you know, whatever it is. It's like, it's so fun to like kind of bring yourself back and put yourself back in the shoes of the little version of yourself and think about those things that you wanted to be in when you grew up. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think I knew what an engineer did. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think the only thing that I relatively understood is that an engineer built things mm. or, you know, some, some engineers do if you're yeah. like a structural engineer or something. And I mean, I liked Legos, so maybe I thought because I Same. like Legos and I put things together with Legos, I'm gonna like to do that as an adult yeah. and like build real things, you know. It's probably like um, Uncle Bill was over and you were playing Legos, and they were like, "You should be an engineer. You're great at building things." And then there <laughs> it was, you know, like the seed was planted. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I just I remember I remember this um, like Manila envelope I had in fifth grade. And I wrote something about engineering on it, and I yeah. and I put you know like the the cogs like like the the um, like two cogs on a wheel that go together. Sure. I drew like two of those, you know, cog wheels going yep. together, and put like engineering or something on the folder. And I remember I had that in fifth grade, like my <laughs> image of yeah, this is my I don't know, like the start of my engineering ideas or something like that. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I remember when there was a, I think it was like second grade, I helped orchestrate and put together a class, or like it was just like a newspaper. So one, one article newspaper is like five pages, you know, my dad printed them off for me and me and my, my friends in like second grade, we'd sit at like our recess time. I think it was winter time and we'd write these articles, you know, or we'd like look at a, all right, we need you know, this song or this, you know, thing, or I don't know. It was like the comic, you know, there's like the classic, the classic, uh, newspaper things that you wanted a couple articles that like we wrote and then mm -hmm. like put it all together. And I think about, I don't know why that popped in my head, but it's like those silly things, those little things when you're a kid. 
that uh, uh-huh. that you do and and I think back of that and I, I think that's so funny. I remember like the there was some song that we had in there. It was I don't know if it was like Grandma got ran over by a reindeer or whatever. Cause it was like Christmas time. <laughs> I remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just so random, random stuff. But it's just fun to think about. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that was a fun song to sing when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You thought it was like the worst thing ever too as a kid. Yeah, was... like you would sing it with your friends, but you couldn't sing it around your mom. Yeah, whatever, yeah, you know? yeah. You thought that they, you'd get in trouble or something. But... Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny definitely what kind of uh student would you say you were growing up um I, I was i was a good student um i was pretty meticulous yeah and um yeah i did i did well in school i think i just for whatever reason like my my personality type i'm very or like i like to things to be structured and orderly yeah um, I was a good kid as far as like obeying authority. So I didn't really have pro- a, a ton of problems, you know, like mm-hmm. obeying my parents or respecting them. And, um, so I kind of took that down, like uh, down the line, meaning I, I respected my parents. I respected my, um, my teachers. I respected my scout leaders and, you know, yeah. I, I had, I had like a, I had a good, greater respect for adults in my life. That's and awesome. I think that led to me falling in line with traditional public school. Um, you know, it's not, I know that's not the case for, for everybody. Yeah. And like, you know, I was a teacher for a little while, so I feel like I have a deeper understanding now that, you know, school worked for me just because of the structure that I had in my life and with my parents. And, um, and I, I bought into the idea that like, Oh, you get good grades and this is going to be the outcome, you know, like, uh, all of that. So, um, I wouldn't say I was very like naturally gifted in, um, just like knowing information, especially sure. when it got to the high school, the high school level. Sure. Like some, some people are just, they have a natural inclination for mathematics or yeah. sciences or whatever. Those people bum studied- me out. <laughs> yeah um that definitely wasn't me um i just i studied like if i yeah. was supposed to read read something i would read it and i would figure it out like i had good i guess comp- reading comprehension and so i could regurgitate information and and pass the tests and and get through with good grades you know and that and that kind of increasingly after freshman year of high school that incrementally declined (laughs) i think i got like a's and b's across the board for years and then come like i don't remember if it was sophomore or junior year i got my first c and uh i think i was just getting i was letting uh, i I guess i wasn't caring as as much and uh like being so meticulous about my grades and uh yeah like i didn't i remember like i didn't think I didn't feel good about it, but at the same time, I was like, man, I've had like A's and B's like my whole life. It's like, it's a C. It's not going to really kill me, is it? You know, and um, sophomore year in high school was a big turning point for me because I I put myself out there um, after going from going 
middle school a very awkward time for a lot of kids being totally. homeschooled yeah and then i and then i went back to public school in ninth grade freshman year yeah and that was kind of just like a re reorienting myself to what it's like to sure. be in traditional school again yeah and then so- sophomore year i kind of came out of my shell um as far as like you know i started playing sports i started playing football i was joining you know student council committees and mm-hmm. student advisory committees and, and prom committee and doing all this stuff. And then I got like really involved in high school and I, I kind of was this, the poster child for your, like, um, what do they say? Well, well-rounded, you know, academic, yeah. um, resume. So, um, yeah, I just bought into the whole thing, like played football. Uh, but I was like, I was also a boy scout and I also was a, like played like drums in a hardcore band and I was a skate and I like the sure. skateboard. Yeah. So I felt like I had my hand like in all these different places. Whereas like, you know, the, the high school movies that are like really funny and corny that like we all kind of probably have like a fond high school memory that we yeah. like from Hollywood. Yep. And it's like, they play on the stereotypes, right? Like you have the jocks, mm-hmm. you have the nerds, you have, you have the stoners and the yep. skaters and all that. And I look back and I'm like, man, I really, I had a really unique perspective because I, I really did have a hand in almost all of it. Yeah. Like I, I, uh, I feel similarly, Adam. I, I, I was in, you know, I was in drama. I was in, you know, I was in our play. I played sports. I was a wrestler, a soccer player, you know, the academic world, I would say was probably the one area that I kind of let slip and, and didn't care or give as much attention to. But I mean, friends group wise, I think it helped that I went to a small, you know, uh, very small school. I mean, graduating class of 120. Uh, so, Oh you know, dude, that was exactly the same for me. Yeah. So yeah, you knew that, everybody that same, same size. Yeah, yeah. You had these relationships with people from every different little group. Like I didn't, I wanted to fit in. I, I had, maybe a different experience, but you know, middle school was really hard for me. Uh, I moved mm-hmm. to the place I moved, uh, in Indiana, Sullivan, Indiana, going into seventh grade and that seventh, eighth grade in this small town that just really pushed back against who I was and me, <laughs> uh, those two mm-hmm. years. And then for me, and maybe you can relate to this a little bit too, but for me, going into freshman year of high school was actually better. I, I stopped getting bullied. I stopped getting you know harassed as much as I was because we were all small fish in a big pool, you know, and uh, I was no longer the focus. It was sink or swim, and everybody was looking to survive, you know, in ninth grade. But it's uh, it was an yeah. interesting experience for me for sure. But I can really relate to that. Yeah, man, it, it's. Yeah, I, I had a I had a very, I, I guess like there was like freshman year for me was, was definitely like weird and difficult, and I felt I felt like a fish out of water for sure. probably like the first first half of the year because I spent these years being homeschooled. Um, I did have a good friendship group though because I was really involved at like church and youth group. Yeah. And so even though some of the friends that I had in school those, those friendships kind of fell away. I, I still had this like really great group of friends at youth group yeah, and, and in Boy Scouts and stuff as well. So I, I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was a socially awkward kid in those years being homeschooled um, because I did still have friendship friendships. But then I went to high school and it was like kids that were my friends in say like fifth grade. 
yeah. then three three years go by of middle school and then they're like potheads and i was like yeah well wait like we used to just like ride bikes together and stuff <laughs> yeah and now like now you smoke weed and it was like <laughs> as like being in ninth grade and yeah. being a pretty sheltered kid growing up in like a like a, a christian house i was like Same. oh i guess I, I can't hang out with that kid anymore yeah right you know because because he smokes weed you yeah, know? And that, yeah that's not that's not cool <laughs> um so yeah that was definitely a weird transition and then i kind of had to find this like new friendship group um yeah and like i said and then by sophomore year i was like trying out for the football team and you know yeah like had a girl had a girlfriend and you yeah. know finding um, your place like that kind of stuff yeah so then, then I was just like, I was like Mr. High School uh, like from that point, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. just, and, and then like the same thing, being a small school, if you're likable, it's pretty easy to be popular, you know? Yeah. Um, and athletic and, I, and, I, and academic, I would say both, just the extra, extracurriculars in general, I think really set you apart or like kind of define, at least for me, like kind of define where you landed in that, in those social circles and like how you were perceived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say definitely like in a like small town America, um, yep. small high school. It's like if, yeah, if you buy in, if you buy into it, like you, you can excel whether it's one way or the other, whether right. it's in sports and academics or, you know, um, band choir, you know? Yeah. Like, but, yeah. Band all like all that stuff is there, which, yeah. which is cool you know it's, yeah. it was the it was the, the typical american liberal arts education you know yeah and um i like looking back on it i really i think i i definitely played by the rules and i think i should have had a little bit more fun <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i think i was i was um i, I didn't want to like i didn't want to get in trouble i like i didn't you know push the boundaries mm-hmm. Um, too too much i mean granted i, I definitely you're a did. kid yeah but <laughs> yeah i definitely did some stupid stuff and you know got my parents like upset and i like i got in trouble with some te- teachers for like minor stuff here and there yeah but it was never like i was in like detention all the time right or, right like whatever like the principal knew me knew me by name um you know i got like good recommendations from my guidance counselor like everyone yeah. had like all these big you know hopes for me and and whatever so, um, but yeah, like looking back, like after you go through high school and college it's like those formidable years, you're like, I don't know. I, I just think I was too, I took things too seriously mm. for being, you know, a 16 year old, 17 year old. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I should have, I just should have gotten a little bit more trouble. <laughs> I should, I should have <laughs> totally. just, I should just, I should just lightened up a little bit and had some more fun. Totally. You know? Totally. And I, I, I feel the same way, man. I, I didn't get into a lot of trouble. Um, you know, same things like my, my friends group, like I didn't drink, I, I didn't, the first time I ever drank or like did anything like that was going into my senior year. It was that summer. Um, and I had seen, and I don't know how it was for you, but I had seen at my school, my little school came in and it's just like, man, people are drinking and going to parties on the weekends, you know, smoking weed, whatever it is. And I just saw them getting busted and it affecting sports were huge for me, you know? So like, that was the thing I found my place in sports. And I think that it's really a, a big component of who I am. I love sports in general. I love being involved in athletics of all kinds, but um, I didn't want anything to hinder my ability to play sports. 
And I was like, nope, not going to do that. You know, I mean, I can remember even my senior year, the one time that the, that summer I, I did a little bit. But outside of that, I really didn't until all my sports were done. And I would go and I'd be the guy that went and picked people up, you know, and like, oh, oh really? Need a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I would drive my friends to the party and drive them home, you know, or whatever, because I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to get in trouble. And yeah, I, dude, I was the straight edge kid. Sense. So yeah. that was, that was my, that was my thing in high school yeah. where people would even call me like as a nickname, they would call me straight edge <laughs> because that was, <clears throat> again, like I, I was like way into church and you know same yeah so when i when i got into high school i was i think i was at that verge like i knew kids partied and like drank in high school and so i was kind of thinking like oh maybe i don't know maybe i would like try that and uh right and experiment and see what that's all about because it was like um i knew that like i could if i wanted to you know yeah yeah um so i remember trying to like think through that like maybe like would i go to a party would i have a beer if like someone gave it to me and right around that time my friend introduced me to to like hardcore and that whole scene sure and so like the straight edge movement was this whole big thing in in hardcore at that time this is like the late 90s right yeah and um and so once i got into that it was like I, I I would I was like this this is what this is what I want to be about you yeah know? especially um, the, because it's, it's funny how that straight edge and like that hardcore scene is also very closely tied with the you know Christian church yeah like it is and it isn't it is like, isn't, and thing. it but, isn't like there's a lot that that was the thing that was for me like I personalized like oh like I would go to these local shows with these bands and like a lot of them were atheists were yeah. like anti anti god anti organized yeah. religion but they were straight edge and they had that like sense of moralism and you know yeah. taking care of their bodies and taking care of their minds mm-hmm. so it was like we're going to be straight edge and promote this lifestyle yeah and yeah, and i was yeah. like i was like oh this is so cool because these guys they don't even believe in god mm-hmm. but they're still gonna like they're not gonna drink and like yeah. they're not gonna yeah. like do drugs and so it kind of endorsed this, like, whether you believe in God or not, this seems like a really, like, a, a good path to be on, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I kind of embraced that, like, because for, for me, it, it embodied my, like, Christian heritage and values sure. and moralism, right? But then it also was, like, cool and edgy because it was, like, this is, a, like, hardcore yeah. Like this is, you know, it's loud and it's aggressive and it's yeah. political and it, it like it gets in your face and, you know, just rowdy and like the adrenaline and the, you know, everything that is involved in that music. It, it It's like this just like, yeah, that that energy, especially when you're like an impressionable, impressionable 15 year old kid, you know, and I grew up listening to Christian music and then you go Same. to this like live, live <laughs> show and yeah. these guys are like just screaming like yeah. with everything in them and it's like their guitars are super, just sold out and, sort of, and there's just like a power it's and a, that, the energy behind it that you're just like I want to be like in this in some way yeah. you know it's like a safe rebellion um, yeah like yeah it is I mean exactly it was um and it I was think my that- way of, I guess it was my way of rebelling. That's a good way to put it where I wasn't getting in trouble with the cops. And I wasn't getting in trouble with my parents, right. but it's like this, like kind of like undercurrent a subculture. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. 
it's funny because I didn't really run into it until I got to college and in the group of friends that I ran around with, they kind of came from that scene, the, the straight edge kind of, you know, that punk hardcore scene where they were involved in, you know, they were the band, they were the bass, guitar, drummers, you know, of those yeah. different bands and kind of introduced me and some of our friends into that kind of group. And I, I don't say that I really loved it or that I still do. Like there's some that I do, you know, there's some things that I like, there's some artists that I like and, um, like a day to remember. I don't know if that really fits in. It's kind of on the on the edge, but it was one of my mm-hmm. favorites, you know, in college. Dude, especially. they're they're yeah, they're a Florida band. Are they? I didn't know that. I, yeah, yeah. I was actually out on this. I did one like month or like just over a month on a warp tour. Yeah, with with Invisible Children and and a day to remember was on nice. warp tour that summer. That's awesome. And I would see them or hear them off in the distance pretty much every day. That's you know. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember like this is the same song. They would always open up with the same like breakdown. Yeah, I could almost like, tell you right now. I've got it playing in my head. <laughs> they get the, they get the beach balls out and everybody sure. start like jumping up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, Good I love stuff. that. That's so cool. But it's funny because that's I went to a very conservative Christian school, college, and you know it's funny to see that group of people and some of my friends that still, you know that was their roots in high school, especially that was their scene as well, you know, and that, yeah. that, I guess that's where I see that tie, you know, of a lot of those people that I went to college with and still, you know, still had that like Christian values. And I think it probably boils down to a lot of what you said with, with the values and that morality and the morals that didn't matter what you believe necessarily. You were this group of people that was accepting and loved each other and kind of cared about each other. And yet like your lifestyle was different and, it was a way to kind of, I don't know. I, I see it as this like social rebellion or this like, you know, personal rebellion of some sort kind of defining your yeah. own self and finding your own way at an, at an early age. For sure. I mean, in a lot of, I mean, there was, there's all kinds of like different sects within yeah. it too. Like you had, cause you had like the vegan street edge movement. Right. Um, you had the Christian street edge movement, right. you know? Um, yeah. So like it was, <clears throat> It, but I feel like overall, I think it was, I think it was good for me. Um, sure. Yeah. Like, I, I guess like if you have to pick one, one way or the other, you know, do you want right. to like drink too, do you want to drink too much in high school and learn the hard way or right. have a DUI or do you want to get involved with like, like a bunch of punk, punk rocker kids who are yeah. like screaming their head off and like having fun, choosing, choosing not to do that or <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know? Um, yeah. You know? So, um, that was like that, that. I like definitely bought into that, and and then down the road in college, like it was, um, I like I didn't have a drink until I was twenty one. Cool. Um, so that was like a kind of like a benchmark milestone for me. Yeah. Um, but it was like for me, it was just you know personal evolution, and I didn't what what straight edge had represented to me at one point. I didn't really like want to affiliate myself with that title and there was a lot of violence and you know you know gangs yeah coming out of the straight edge movement and i was like ah, that's not what yeah. i'm about you yeah. know and i don't yeah. want to be affiliated with like with that you know so cool yeah but, what you said you uh, majored in biology is that correct yeah what, yeah, yeah what led you that direction um Oh, dude, I'm re- I'm really sorry. Can can I pause and I I gotta run to the restroom again. I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. Man. <laughs> no worries, no worries at all. 
Oh, I'm just going to put it on, on hold real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, You're good, man. We got to do this. You're good. All right. All right. Um, so we were just talking about you're a, you were a biology major and what kind of led you the direction to choose biology? Um, yeah, I think so in high school rap, you know, finishing and you're thinking about what you want to major in and study in, in college and everything like that. I, I think I made the decision that I wanted to be a teacher before I chose a major and I just kind of like felt, yeah, education is the path I want to take and I yeah. want to teach. So then it was a matter of like, what do I want to teach? Mm. And I had always done quite well in the, you know, the science and yeah. like math side of school. And it was, it was really just something that I felt would be more exciting to teach day in and day out and year after year yeah. rather than teaching I was thinking of my options, you know, I was like, I can be an English teacher, uh, a math teacher, <laughs> yeah. his, history. And as far as the content was concerned, I felt the sciences offered, you know, there's always new research coming out, right. um, new theories and things like that. Whereas English, you're like, you're going to, you're going to teach, you know, a tale of two cities every single year <laughs> or, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like hey, you're going to read George Orwell's animal farm every yeah. single year. You know what I mean? Yep. Like there's these, like these texts totally. that are, and same with history, you know, like history, you're going to teach that same period right. of time. Or, or now we're on the unit for civil war mm-hmm. or, you know, reconstruction or whatever it might be. So you have these units that you're going to just repeat over and over again yeah and to me it just seemed a little more interesting to study something that like there was new developments and advances in science and you kind of tie that in i mean obviously like like look at the world genetics and dna and how much more that you know um especially like when i was in high school and into college that was i think when i was in college the entire human genome was mapped for the very first time yeah. So there was these kind crazy? of things that, yeah, that were just, <laughs> they, that, that, that stuff was happening while I was yeah. studying it. And it made me think, yeah, this is going to be fun to teach as, as far as like because, for that level. And because I was a good student and I, you know, done well in science, I felt, yeah, like I'll major in biology. <laughs> um, that that was my, my decision-making process when I was, you know, sure. 18 years old, finishing high school. And, um, but I didn't know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a rude awakening, I think, in in college. You know, it was it was difficult. It was definitely not. Um, it was harder work than I thought it was going to be, and yeah. um, I was, you know, looking to be a high school teacher. And the majority of my classmates in college were pre-med pre-farm right um you know they're going into biotechnology mm-hmm. and the and, and very you know just very specific scientific fields yeah and so it was a little intimidating for me where i was thinking well how do i you know this this person's trying to i had lab partners who were trying to get into med school like they're going to be doctors yeah. you know yeah. and i'm just trying to like learn as much as i can to tell like high school kids you know <laughs> so the yeah. level of like my involvement was was a little bit different i was just in, i felt i was in a different headspace sure and, you probably were um, yeah i i would say and and um yeah and so i had a um i kind of had a, a back and forth with like studying biology is um 
I think halfway through, I was really considering changing my major. Yeah. But then, um, <clears throat> the, you know, I, I was I was at that point too where I was playing a lot of music. I wasn't playing sports in college. Yeah. I really got very heavily involved in playing with bands and playing some shows like a lot. You know, the, there was a time where I probably had a show at least once a month on the weekends. And, you know, just doing, you know, restaurant work on the side, like part-time hours along with all that. And um, I got offers to join some bands full-time. And, nice. you know, the, op- the option of uh, <clears throat> going on tour, yeah. you know, and, and, and doing it like for a full-time thing and, and getting with a band that, you know, has like s- records out or like some label support and stuff like that. Yeah. And I That's really, awesome. yeah, I... I I had to wrestle with that, you know, there was mm. like some guys that this band that I loved and I looked up to and, um, they were, you know, they were out there on the road and they were building, you know, a name for themselves and they needed a new drummer and they, they gave me the offer and I was really flattered. I was like, man, these guys like think I'm good enough to be in the, this band. You yeah. Know? And, um, so part of me definitely wanted to go that route. Um, like move down to Connecticut and play with these guys and just and go on the road. And, uh, but then like, like, like my practical, uh, you know, side kind of weighed out and I was like, you know, I really should finish school. If if I go play in this band, I don't know if I'll ever go back to college. Right. I'm already, ha- I'm already halfway done. I should just stick it out for two more years and finish. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, so that's what I ended up doing is as much as I wanted to go, play music and, and kind of pursue that. I just felt, I think the, I think the, the most practical thing here is to stay in school and finish it out. So, yeah. So I stuck with the, the biology degree, even though it was, I wasn't loving it and um, it was, it was difficult for me, but then, you know, I, I finished it and uh, yeah, I have a bachelor's feels, in science. Feels so, good, like, right? No, no one can take that away from me. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I, I love that you were a biology major. I was a nursing major coming into college, and so I was in a lot of those, you know, some of those same classes that you were in, and um, I was, my, one of my best friends, he was a, in college, Joel Hartzell, he was a, I think he was a biology major that was pre-med, though, Um, and so he did all those same classes, and, you know, it was the, he's pre-med, but he was majoring in biology, and (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. that crazy... Crazy workload. I remember, you know, the tests and the classes that you had to take from micro to macro biology to, you know, all that different stuff that was just wild and crazy that I didn't have to take part in. Thank goodness I ended up changing my major anyway. But did, oh, yeah, dude, or, or organic chem labs were like, oh, yeah. You, you like hear about that. For, like, about you're that a, fresh, you're yeah. a freshman and, and you hear about, oh, wait till you get to organic chem. Yeah. It's just going gonna, gonna to get so crazy. And yeah, the labs, I mean, I never was able to fit the labs were so long they're four hour blocks oh, yeah for for organic chem lab that's not that's not including the lecture class right. period you know yeah i could never fit in my schedule to have the four hour labs because Ugh. i was always doing other like other uh, other courses sure. so i had to do my organic chem uh, over the summer Ooh. And oh, dude, it was that like, sounds terrible you know, <laughs> yeah because then i mean new england right you have this very short summer and uh the weather is just so nice and it's like the one time year you want to like try to go to the beach with your yeah. friends or go to some shows or whatever and then i'd just be stuck in the, you know 
this be- this like lab. beautiful yeah. days outside and I'm stuck inside this Brick lab. At least it was, it was, it was no air windows. conditioned. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're there for four hours, oh, you know. Gross, and, yeah. and then like you get out of the lab and you're like, I need to go eat something. You go have lunch, <laughs> and then and then you're like, I have to write this lab report, which is going to take me another two three hours, right. you know. And it was just this. Oh. Uh, that was brutal. I get it. I, I, I don't, don't miss that. I do not miss that at all. Right. I <laughs> There's been many times throughout my life post-college that I go, man, maybe I should go back to school. And then I think about shit like that that you just said. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah, I had, dude. My junior year was similar like that. I had, dude, I had an 8 a.m. class three days a week. Mm-hmm. I... We had, I went going to a conservative Christian college. I had chapel three days a week right after that. Um, mm-hmm. And so actually, you know what? It was uh, 8 a.m. four days a week. It was Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday um, was my 8 a.m. classes, which just sucked. And then I also played soccer and I also had a job. Mm-hmm. So I would go, I literally cut out of like 20 minutes early out of my hour class, one of my hour classes once a week that I would then go to work. I worked at the YMCA, did their like after school program. So I'd do that for a few hours and then I would run straight from there, hoping that the parents would be there to pick up their kids on time so I could get to soccer practice in time and not be late. Nine times out of 10, I was late. And then these were like six o'clock, right? So we're talking six, six 30 by this point in time, my practice doesn't get over till eight, eight 30. I haven't eaten, right? Like when I got to go eat just like you did. And then now I'm looking at 10 o'clock by the time I'm showered and ready to like, now I got to do my schoolwork. That year was one of the hardest years, um, growing up, especially academically and everything, man. I I don't wish that upon anybody. (laughs) I, yeah, it's, you have to like respect. I mean, what I mean, you, you respect what what you did in in going through that. But then, like a lot of like life as an adult, yeah, is not nothing nearly as crazy as that. <laughs> no, you know, and no. and that's the bizarre thing is is like schools like supposed to like you know train you for yeah a, a, like adulthood right, which it doesn't. Yeah, but um. Yeah, and then, like you get to that, you get through that, and then you like you then you get like a regular nine to five job or whatever. You kind of fall into your routine of <laughs> yeah. adult life, and it's nothing as crazy as some no. of those times when you're in college and like working and volunteering right. or playing sports along with all of it. It's just all yeah, while trying res- to. You got to respect the kids that are like seventeen, eight year, eighteen years old. <sighs> they're, they're just like just grinding, you yeah. know, to get to that next level. I mean. um, did you see that that Netflix show about? Um, I, I don't know if it was called Cheer. Maybe it was just called Cheer, uh, and it's this ne- the, Netflix doc- documentary I about know. this like ch- cheer team down, yeah, um, down south, yeah, and just like what they go through, like yeah. physically, and yeah, it's like that whole story of how hard you're working. Totally, you're like 20 years old, and you're just like, just every single hour of your day is uh, is scheduled, you know. Right. Like right. your sleep has to be scheduled, your study has to be scheduled, your class time, then your totally. practice time. It's like, it's just, yeah, it's wild what, you know, the college athlete goes through. Not not even just athletes, I mean, college students in general, but I feel like that mm-hmm. dynamic of trying to play sports alongside being a full-time oh, Yeah, student. and I was, I, mean, that's what, I didn't even make it, you know, like I, I wasn't even like, I, I never made varsity, you know, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I still put forth all that effort, <laughs> all that time. But yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like I I am the same way. All while trying to manage and trying to uh, grow up, you know. Like your mind is still growing and trying to figure stuff out, manage the social circles that you're in, and um, <laughs> I mean your relationships, whether they were you know romantic relationships or just friendships, you know and I don't know. Managing all of that, that time, I, whew, man, what a lot, what a lot to take in and remember and think about and go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I, I'm, uh, all that we were talking about is really why I, I didn't try to play sports in college. Yeah. I, mean, I went to, I went to Worcester state. It's a small state school Okay. and, um, pretty close to where I grew up. Like I didn't have, cool. I didn't, I actually lived at home and commuted. It was like mo- like a big time commuter school, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole other unique college yeah. experience. Sure. Like I don't, yeah, it definitely was weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I had actually the school that I went to Worcester state. One of my high school teachers was a coach for the football team. Oh, nice. And so I remember senior year, um, he got uh, all the football players together to talk about what it's like in a college program, you yeah. know? And I mean, this is like a small D3 school. It's not even totally. like a massive, a massive program by any means, totally. but he went over like what the demands were and the schedule, you know, this is what you do in your off season for yeah. your gym and, and your lifting regimen. And then like when school's in session, this is what the schedule would be like daily. And, yeah you know, all that. And I was just like, Whoa, I mean, <laughs> you see, th- you think like a, a high school schedule is, is intense yeah. for football. And then it just goes, basically it boils down to, you don't have time to do anything else, nope. but class and, and your, and your whole life is planned out, scheduled out, especially, yeah, at, and so, especially at yeah, the higher levels. I, I just didn't like, for me, it wasn't worth it. I didn't love it enough um, to want to commit to that sort of that, it. like that level. And, um, so yeah, I mean, probably for the better, because I mean, <laughs> we, we all know that football and concussions are yeah. a terrible, terrible thing. So you saved a few brain I, cells. Yeah. I spared myself probably, um, some, some brain injury. So yeah. what was your next stage or like, how did you learn about invisible children and kind of what led you there? Um, yeah. So I, it was actually through like the music scene. Okay. Um, so there's this band called under oath and yep. I like loved the, one of their records, uh, called define the great line. And was just like really into that, that whole world of like heavy Christian music. And didn't under oath just come they, out with a new, new album too recently. Uh, they did like a year, two okay. years ago. Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They kind of like took a break and they came back yeah. and put a, a new record. I, I know but, Under, um, that's the that's one that one of the names I know for sure. That. Yeah, man, they're they're, <laughs> they're a big band uh, as far in that in that whole world sure. in that scene, and um, so they but they had invisiblechildren.com in the like inside of the CD like the oh, liner cool. notes. Yeah, so that's what like brought me to the the website for the first time. So crazy, and then um, yeah, it, it, so it was like I got exposed to some of the videos and stuff like that. Um, what it was like to be a roadie. They had some like videos about the tour of being a roadie. And uh, so that, yeah, that was my introduction. And then um, I didn't even see the, the main film for like years, not like months later, I started talking about it. Yeah. I was actually dating this girl uh, who kind of weirdly 
who grew up in San Diego. She grew up in San Diego, but she was living in Massachusetts at the time. Yeah. And um, so we were, we were going to church together and, and, and like, dated briefly. Um, and she got me a copy of the, the Invisible Children Rough Cut DVD. Nice. So that's how, like, so I just watched it at my house, you know, by myself for the first time and got exposed that way. And, um, yeah, and it was just, I just kind of, like, then it was like this whole story of me showing it to my roommate Zach, yep. Yep. and he was and he was a high school teacher, and then his high school got very actively involved in Invisible Children and helped fundraise for their schools for schools program. So it was like I was kind of on the periphery of that and watching his students yeah. really get involved in it, and then we got to meet some roadies that came to his high school, and so I met the roadies. I met. Like Laren Poole, one of the founders of this book, right. he came to he came to our house. Um, so yeah, I was just like on that, like I was a supporter yeah. in that in that role and in that capacity for a little bit. And then after I met the roadies and talked to them a little bit and saw what it was more all about, um, yeah, I think the following year after that is when I applied over the summer to nice. kind of start up in the following fall. Um, so yeah, like my teaching career wasn't, you know, really, I, I wasn't loving teaching. I finished college and I, I, I got into teaching sixth grade earth science full time for a little while cool. and they wanted me to come back the following year and I just, I, something about it, I wasn't, I wasn't loving it. And so I was working for a restaurant over the summer while school was out of session and just decided, you know, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to apply for this things internship and see you know see what it's all about and it i think it wasn't even so much for me it wasn't this pull for the issues in uganda and what was happening I yeah think, grant granted that was moving and that was horrendous and obviously i was like yeah that is that's not good if i can do something about yeah. it i want to but personally it was a it was a deep spiritual conviction that mm. I wanted to do something positive and something of worth and value. Mm. So it was a way for me to back up what I believed. You know, you'll hear that term, like practice what yeah. you preach. And it was like this very, I, I, I kind of spent so much of my life just like believing all of this stuff and believing Christianity and what it meant and yeah. going to church and doing all this stuff. But I never felt like I was really doing something mm about my faith yeah. so on a per on a very personal level the internship was about me like living out my my faith and what i believed to be my faith at that point in time and um and it was like that itch that had like i'd always wanted to go out on tour and do be on the road like and yeah. because i like I, I said i think that band asked me to to join and i didn't do that even though I never really toured extensively as a musician, mm -hmm. it was like that same mentality, like sure. get in the van, yeah, 100%. load up the, load up the t-shirts. We're going to go out there <laughs> yeah. and we're going to, and we're going to just grind. Yep. And the same, that same mentality that you got to be to be like a small time touring band. It's that same, sure. like that, that same spirit that you're taking out on the road, like with invisible children. So for me, it was like my way to like, I always had kind of wanted to do something like that. And it gave me, it gave me that opportunity, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I've never thought about necessarily the, 
that being, I, I think that was my life in college. You know, I was very much active in just social justice issues, um, you know, feeding the poor and helping helping people like uh, it's just always been the theme of my life that I've you know kind of put myself in that position and and align my my vision and my life with helping others and doing good and making a difference and something beyond yeah. myself and so I never really thought about it being like an, an arm of that you know necessarily I, though it completely is and and without a doubt it was one of those things for me as well but yeah, it's very interesting. I, I also yeah. relate back to, you know, kind of earlier on with you being invited to the band, you know, and I, do you remember Sabrina Simmerhoff? 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Sabrina was one of my roadies and she had, her and like her team had, was one that really pushed for me and uh, the, my group of guys that I, you know, went to college with to join Invisible Children and kind of mm-hmm. had that opportunity. And you, you met Matt Muljan, um, I believe, right? I, I did, yeah. In 2009. Um, so he was one of my friends and he was a roadie that came in in 2009. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so like I had that group and, and I made that decision my junior year to go back to school my senior year. Uh, for the same thing and kind of had written Invisible Children off after I graduated my senior year and Sabrina showed up again and sent me a message I think on Facebook it was and it's like hey I know I've asked you several times but would you reconsider <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. so the rest is history recruiting yeah yeah, yeah. totally for sure totally. for sure yeah man it's um you know I, I wanted to make time and I know it's towards the end of our second part and we haven't really talked about it a lot but we've uh you you probably know more people, um, you know, you for sure know more people at Invisible Children and that have came through those walls than I do. But, you know, we've lost some great people uh, that came through the Invisible Children walls. And I just want to kind of give, you know, them a shout out and, you know, the impact that they've had in our lives. And, you know, I mentioned Matt Muljan. He's another one. He's someone that's um, no longer with us. And... Um, We've, we've lost a few uh, great people, and uh, I'm really grateful for those relationships, for those people and the impact they've had on my life, including, uh, you know, Alex Collins, who we lost recently. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, man. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. No, don't, don't um, be sorry. Okay. But this venture, you know, Crazy Face Uno is really those two people in, in particular were really a catalyst for me kind of pursuing this venture. And, um, yeah, I just think it's really important to kind of highlight them and, and, you know, maybe talk, talk about them a little bit or, you know, the relationships that we had with those, these individuals. And I know there's several other people that I, I don't know as well and that you are probably friends with and, that have lost their lives to suicide and, you know, some of the mental health issues that our country and our world is going through these days. But, you know, I, I have a question that we'll get to eventually, but legacy, you know, is a question that I, I really think about and something that I look back on and, and look at these different individuals and how their lives have affected mine and uh, how their legacies are lived out. And uh, man, the, uh, there's some giants that, you know, some, some people that, you know, you, 
we can't take for granted for granted and i just want to kind of shine a light on them i know that you were friends with alex and probably a little bit closer to alex than i was for sure and uh yeah we we've been through some things adam yeah man um no i i think it's it's difficult but i'm glad that you are you know remembering and honoring the lives of you know the folks we've lost and it's yeah you never want to it's yeah it's more than just not wanting to forget about them i don't think people are going to forget about these people but um but yeah like that impact and um yeah and it's just important to share your own heart and your own like feelings and and process it because um yeah, it never, it never goes away, and it's no. a continual like like grief and loss is this yeah. like it, it is it is a lifelong um, process. You yeah, know? it just it, it carries with you. Um, I mean, yeah, I um, I said goodbye to Nate and yeah, Nate um, years ago. Um, that was the first. My, my time at Invisible Children, that was like the first like massive loss yeah. um, of, you know, of a friend leaving us. And um, yeah, being so, like we, we've mentioned, you know, that that like intrinsic involvement in uh, in the, the lives of, of like the people you worked with and you lived mm-hmm. with, you know, and, and Nate was one of those guys that I, yeah, like we worked together in Visible Children, but we, you know, we also lived together. Yeah. And like that, that bond, you know, is like that much greater because in a short window of time, you can, you just get to know someone mm. really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, and you're both just like on board, you know, and, uh, and the kind of person that Nate was is just like so open and, and loving mm. that he was just like a person that you easily connected to and easily became a, a good friend to, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I tell the story a lot that like before, um, I, I had spent some time in the UK with invisible children yeah. in like the, the London office in 2009. Right. And when I came back, um, is when I first, Matt Nate mm. and um, I'm just going to switch over to the regular phone um, so I came back to work in, in an office job yeah. and that's where I first met Nate and uh, probably within I don't know like the first I think it was the first week I was back in town um, I had gone out with friends and I got really drunk Yeah, and I didn't even really know Nate that well at that point, but we were living at the apartments downtown together. Yep. And I pulled up like a friend drove drove me home and I was in rough shape (laughs) and they, somebody called Nate was at in the apartment. He wasn't out with us. And, uh, he, he came downstairs and got me. This guy doesn't even know, and I'm just I'm wasted. Like he's like I got my arms around his, his shoulders, and he's like walking me upstairs to our apartment. Yeah, and he's and I just remember I I was like 
I was drunk, but I remember him saying, like, I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> and um, oh, and he, just, he, just, he just took care of me, you know? <laughs> like, he, yeah. he didn't even know me, but we were, like, like forced roommates yeah. because um, because of the, the situation. We're working together. Here, you got this, like, staff housing. Cool, you're going to live in this apartment together. <laughs> And I come home like a drunk idiot. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and there. Dude, he, he just, he just took care of me. Like, um, yeah. And, uh, I, I'll never forget that. Like that was, you know, that, cause that, that just exemplified who he was. You know, yeah. he just, he would help out. He wanted to take care of, uh, he wanted to take care of the people around him, you know? Mm. Um, and I, I, I love that. I love that memory of yeah. him. Um, I'm grateful that I, I, I do remember that. <laughs> that yeah. Night. Yeah. Of and, uh, enough of that but um thank you for sharing yeah man adam i appreciate it oh uh, yeah um of course i i think um in talking about nate and remembering him um the anniversary of um of his passing is coming up in uh july yeah yeah uh, and so things it's gonna be 10 years in this july so i know um it's crazy yeah, my, my good buddy Eugene, um, Eugene yep. Kim, he, he also was a roommate with us in that same season yeah. at the apartment. And he's been putting together um, like a, a memorial, I know. hopefully yeah, just that's... a get-together get in San Diego this July. So granted, it's all very tentative right now and right. because of you know travel restrictions and everything. We don't really know if it's going to be yeah. a possibility. But um, yeah, right. just for those who... Um, some of the listeners who were from the invisible children family or, you know, Nate, and just kind of want to throw that out there. That's something that we're talking about and, and trying to just remember our, our, uh, our good, our homie, you know, yeah. our, our, our friend. And, um, I'm hoping to uh, yeah. be able to make it out there too and, and bring the wife and kind of meet, you know, everybody. I never got to meet him, Nate, uh, him personally. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I met him in Chicago uh, mm-hmm. at the, you know, with the rescue and all of that. Yeah. I think he was around then, but I don't like know him personally. I know we've bumped shoulders and, you know, I lived in the same apartment that we all lived in, you know, we were talking about the, yeah. the apartment, uh, you know, the, the uh, side door. I'm sure that's the one you came up, you know, in the back corner. And, um, but like, yeah, yeah I, dude, I, I feel like it, it must've been a weird kind of like, you're living in the shadow of this, like, yeah, oh, I this, came in right this, after this his person, passing, you know. So oh, I was like, living, yeah. yeah, I was living, or I was, uh, I was in Haiti when I heard about the, the bombing, you know, and and the loss of Nate Hinn, and that was, that was that fall, two thousand ten, you know, or spring. I don't know. It's right, at, right around that time was when I, uh, right after he had passed away, and after that incident yeah. that that I came into Invisible Children, and it was a, definitely a, a unique experience for sure, but. Um, one I wouldn't change, change. So, yeah, man, yeah, we, uh, I definitely miss him. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. The, um, it's, I, I think it's important to mark these, you know, these anniversaries and, so true, yep. you know, think like the, you know, 10 year uh, time mark, a, yeah. a decade of uh, life, you know, without him. But, yeah. um, yeah, I think it's, it's valuable uh, totally. for us. Yeah, just to keep supporting each other and, you know, keep remembering, yeah. you know, these people that we love and that we lost. Um, 
I mean, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't get to know uh, Matt. Right. Um, I, 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 you know, just remember, remember him from being in the office at the same yeah. time. I think, I think I was, I was a regional manager at that point in time, like working right. in the office while him and his team were out on the road and, mm-hmm. um, Carly yeah, and Saren and uh, and uh, um, Pockets. I was trying to think of his first name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that was his team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. But, Crazy. Well, Adam, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of our time here. I've got like two and a half minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. I've got two, three questions. We can blaze through them here and then we'll close things out and go. But um, you cool with that? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. What would you say you're most proud of to date? What am I most proud of? Oh, man. It's a tough one, I know. I save all the hard ones that, for the that, end. That, yeah, that's a, very, that's, a loaded, <laughs> that's a loaded question. It is, it is. Um, I say, um, man, I think I'm, I'm proud of risks that I've taken in life. I'm proud that I have, uh, maintained, you know, close knit, you know, family over the years and even like living out of state for, for all these years, you know, that's, um, that's, that's a hard thing. And I'm just grateful for my family and the, like their involvement in my life, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. Last question. Looking yeah. back, what advice would you tell little Adam? Um, just be a little more wild. <laughs> like I think I, I, yeah. I said that, you know, like yeah. in, in high school, I think I wish I just, uh, I lived a little bit like more. I wasn't I would, just to lighten up and not be so worried of, uh, you know, always doing the right thing or yeah. like pleasing the adults in my life and like living a little bit more, you know? so uh, yeah i love it thanks man appreciate you coming on of the course. show i'm gonna close things out yeah. thanks for having me absolutely thanks. appreciate it thank you all so much for coming on the show we appreciate you so much your contribution helps us tell stories just like adam's and stories just like yours speaking of contributions please visit facebook and instagram there you can like and comment on our posts if you want to go above and beyond please share the crazy face uno podcast with your friends family or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everyone. Please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. There you can purchase items from our online store or donate. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. We love you. Peace.